welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. I have two very old tales for you today. The first is a famous Greek myth called Icarus and Daedalus. And this story reminds us exactly why young people have a responsibility to obey their parents. For the same good reason, parents have a responsibility to guide their children. There are many things adults know that young people don't. The ancient Greek dramatist Aeschylus put it this way, Obedience is the mother of success and is wedded to safety. Safe childhoods and successful upbringings require a measure of obedience, as Icarus finds out the hard way. And now our story. Daedalus was the most skillful builder and inventor of his day in ancient Greece. He built magnificent palaces and gardens, and created wonderful works of art throughout the land. His statues were so beautifully crafted they were taken for living beings, and it was believed that they could see and walk about. People said someone as cunning as Daedalus must have learned the secrets of his craft from the gods themselves. Now across the sea, on the island of Crete, lived a king named Minos. King Minos had a terrible monster that was half bull and half man, and it was called the Minotaur, and he needed some place to keep it. When he heard of Daedalus's cleverness, he invited him to come to his country and build a prison to hold the beast. So Daedalus and his young son Icarus sailed to Crete, and there Daedalus built the famous labyrinth, a maze of winding passages so tangled and twisted that whoever went in could never find a way out. And there they put the Minotaur. When the labyrinth was finished, Daedalus wanted to sail back to Greece with his son, but Minos had made up his mind to keep them in Crete. He wanted Daedalus to stay and invent more wonderful devices for him, so he locked them both in a high tower beside the sea. The king knew Daedalus was clever enough to escape from the tower, so he also ordered that every ship be searched for stowaways before sailing from Crete. Other men may have given up, but not Daedalus. From his high tower he watched the seagulls drifting on the ocean breezes. Minus may control the land and the sea, he said, but he does not rule the air. We'll go that way. So he summoned all the secrets of his craft, and he set to work. Little by little he gathered a great pile of feathers of all sizes. He fastened them together with thread and molded them with wax, and at last he had two great wings like those of the seagulls. He tied them to his shoulders, and after one or two clumsy efforts, he found that by waving his arms he could rise into the air. He held himself aloft, wavering this way and that with the wind, until he taught himself how to glide and soar on the currents as gracefully as any seagull. Next he built a second pair of wings for Icarus. He taught the boy how to move the feathers and rise a few feet into the air, and then let him fly back and forth across the room. Then he taught him how to ride the air currents, climbing in circles, and hang in the winds. They practiced together until Icarus was ready. Finally the day came when the winds were just right. Father and son strapped on their wings and prepared to fly home. "'Remember all I've told you,' Daedalus said. "'Above all, remember you must not fly too high,' or too low. If you fly too low, the ocean sprays will clog your wings and make them too heavy. 
"'If you fly too high, the heat of the sun will melt the wax, "'and your wings will fall apart. "'Stay close to me, and you'll be fine.' "'Up they rose, the boy after his father, "'and the hateful ground of Crete sank far beneath them. "'As they flew, the plowman stopped his work to gaze, "'and the shepherd leaned on his staff to watch them, "'and people came running out of their houses "'to catch a glimpse of the two figures high above the treetops. "'Surely they were gods, Apollo, perhaps, with Cupid after him. "'At first the flight seemed terrible to both Daedalus and Icarus, the wide, endless sky dazed them, and even the quickest glance down made their brains reel. But gradually they grew used to riding among the clouds, and they lost their fear. Icarus felt the wind fill his wings and lift him higher and higher, and began to sense a freedom he had never known before. He looked down with great excitement at all the islands they passed, and their people, and at the broad blue sea spread out beneath him, "'dotted with the white sails of ships. "'He soared higher and higher, "'forgetting his father's warning. "'He forgot everything in the world but joy. "'Come back!' Daedalus called frantically. "'You're flying too high! "'Remember the sun! "'Remember what I told you! "'Come down! "'Come down!' "'But Icarus thought of nothing but his own excitement and glory.' He longed to fly as close as he could to the heavens. Nearer and nearer he came to the sun, and slowly his wings began to soften. One by one the feathers began to fall and scatter in the air, and suddenly the wax melted all at once. Icarus felt himself falling. He fluttered his arms as fast as he could, but no feathers remained to hold the air. He cried out for his father, but it was too late. With a scream he fell from his lofty height and plunged into the sea, disappearing beneath the waves. Daedalus circled over the water again and again, but he saw nothing but feathers floating on the waves, and he knew his son was gone. At last the body came to the surface, and he managed to pluck it from the sea. With a heavy burden and broken heart, Daedalus slowly flew away. When he reached land, he buried his son, "'and built a temple to the gods. "'Then he hung up his wings "'and never flew again. "'The adaptation of that old Greek myth "'was given to us by James Baldwin, "'as is the next story, "'which will come right after these sponsor messages. "'And now the Sword of Damocles, "'adapted by James Baldwin. "'This story is one of those "'if-you-can't-stand-the-heat-get-out-of-the-kitchen type stories,' It's a great reminder that if we aspire to any kind of high office or job, we must be willing to live with all the burdens that come with it. There once was a king named Dionysus who ruled in Syracuse, the richest city in Sicily. He lived in a fine palace where there were many beautiful and costly things, and he was waited upon by a host of servants who were always ready to do his bidding. Naturally, because Dionysus had so much wealth and power, there were many in Syracuse who envied his good fortune. Damocles was one of these. He was one of Dionysus's best friends, and he was always saying to him, "'How lucky you are! You have everything anyone could wish for. You must be the happiest man in the world.' One day Dionysus grew tired of hearing such talk. "'Come now,' he said. "'Do you really think I'm happier than everyone else?' 
"'But of course you are,' Damocles replied. "'Look at the great treasures you possess and the power you hold. "'You have not a single worry in the world. "'How could life be any better?' "'Perhaps you'd like to change places with me,' said Dionysus. "'Oh, I'd never dream of that,' said Damocles. "'But if I could only have your riches and your pleasures for one day, "'I should never want any greater happiness.' "'Very well. Trade places with me for just one day, and you shall have them.' And so, the next day, Damocles was led to the palace, and all the servants were instructed to treat him as their master. They dressed him in royal robes, and placed on his head a crown of gold. He sat down at a table in the banquet hall, and rich foods were set before him. Nothing was wanting that could give him pleasure. There were costly wines and beautiful flowers— "'and rare perfumes, and delightful music. "'He rested himself among soft cushions, "'and felt he was the happiest man in the world. "'Ah, this is the life!' he sighed to Dionysus, "'who sat at the other end of the long table. "'I never enjoyed myself so much.' "'As he raised a cup to his lips, "'he lifted his eyes toward the ceiling. "'What was that dangling above him, "'with its point almost touching his head?' Damocles stiffened. The smile faded from his lips, and his face turned ashy pale. His hands trembled. He wanted no more food, no more wine, no more music. He only wanted to be out of the palace, far away, and he cared not where. For directly above his head hung a sword, held to the ceiling by only a single horsehair. Its sharp blade glittered as it pointed right between his eyes. He started to jump up and run, but stopped himself, frightened that any sudden move might snap that thin thread and bring that sword down. He sat frozen to his chair. "'What is the matter, my friend?' Dionysus said. "'You seem to have lost your appetite.' "'That sword! That sword!' whispered Damocles. "'Don't you see it?' "'Of course I see it,' said Dionysus. I see it every day. It always hangs over my head, and there is always the chance someone or something might cut that slim thread. Perhaps one of my own advisers will grow jealous of my power and try to kill me, or someone may spread lies about me to turn the people against me. It may be that a neighboring kingdom will send an army to seize this throne, or I might make an unwise decision that will bring my downfall. If you want to be a leader, you must be willing to accept these risks. They come with the power, you see? Yes, I do see, said Damocles. I see now that I was mistaken, and that you have much to think about besides your riches and fame. Please take your place, and let me go back to my own house. And as long as he lived, Damocles never again wanted to change places even for a moment, with the king. Our third story today is a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. If you've ever heard the quote, Into the Valley of Death, Rode the Six Hundred, this is the poem where those words originated. It's called The Charge of the Light Brigade by Alfred Tennyson. Tennyson based this famous poem on the Battle of Balaclava, fought on October 25, 1854, during the Crimean War, 
in which a small force of British cavalry made a daring but disastrous assault against a Russian artillery line. After the attack, only 195 of the 673 men in the Light Brigade answered muster call. Some find it fashionable to ridicule this poem as a glorification of war and a message to those who blindly and stupidly follow orders. But the fact is that there are times when obedient acts of self-sacrifice and courage merit both admiration and profound gratitude. And there are many examples of selfless courage. One such example being the many rescue attempts on 9-11. The poem goes this way. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death, rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death, rode the 600. Forward, the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew, someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the six hundred. Cannon to the right of them. Cannon to the left of them. Cannon in front of them. Volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell. Boldly they rode and well. Into the jaws of death. Into the mouth of hell. Rode the six hundred. Flashed all their sabers bare. "'flashed as they turned in air, "'sabering the gunners there, "'charging an army, "'while all the world wondered. "'Plunged in the battery smoke, "'right through the line they broke. "'Cossack and Russian "'reeled from the saber stroke, "'shattered and sundered. "'Then they rode back, "'but not, "'not the six hundred. "'Cannon to the right of them, "'cannon to the left of them, Cannon behind them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell, all that was left of them, left of six hundred. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made! All the world wondered. Honor the charge they made! Honor the Light Brigade, noble, 600. Our last story today, it's a letter from F. Scott Fitzgerald to his daughter. In this letter, you see the molding of character, a father gently but explicitly telling his daughter what her duties are. Dear Pie, I feel very strongly about your doing duty. Would you give me a little more documentation about your reading in French? I am glad you are happy, but I never believe much in happiness. I never believe in misery, either. Those are things you see on the stage, or the screen, or the printed page. They never really happen to you in life. All I believe in life is the rewards for virtue, according to your talents, and the punishments for not fulfilling your duties, which are doubly costly. If there is such a volume in the camp library, will you ask Mrs. Tyson to let you look up a sonnet of Shakespeare's in which the line occurs, Lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. 
have had no thoughts today. Life seems composed of getting up a Saturday evening post story. I think of you, and always pleasantly. But if you call me Pappy again, I'm going to take the white cat out and beat his bottom hard. Six times for every time you're impertinent. Do you react to that? I will arrange the camp bill. Half-wit, I will conclude. Things to worry about. Worry about courage. Worry about cleanliness. Worry about efficiency. Worry about horsemanship. Things not to worry about. Don't worry about popular opinion. Don't worry about dolls. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about growing up. Don't worry about anybody getting ahead of you. Don't worry about triumph. Don't worry about failure unless it comes through your own fault. Don't worry about mosquitoes or flies or insects in general. Don't worry about parents. Don't worry about boys. Don't worry about disappointments. Don't worry about pleasures. Don't worry about satisfactions. Things to think about. What am I really aiming at? How good am I in comparison to my contemporaries in regard to A. Scholarship B. Do I really understand about people and am I able to get along with them? And C. Am I trying to make my body a useful instrument or am I neglecting it? With dearest love. I hope you enjoyed our stories today at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We've had some recent reviews lately I wanted to share with you. The first one, excellent, five stars, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. A great companion to my bike ride home from work. Now from Whamhead, Apple Podcast, Great Britain. And this one, excellent read, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, five stars. The reader allows the listener to imagine their own details surrounding the story, not clouded with superfluous music and effects which can distract the listener from the intent of the original authors. Keep up the great work. Red Wolf Hop, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one expands my world. Five stars, 1001 classic short stories and tales. Such a great podcast. I subscribe to many, but 1001 classic short stories and tales is one. Though I like to read, I had largely forgotten about the authors of the past. But John has brought life to many authors whom I had known by name, but not by their work. The Robin Hood stories are some of my favorites though the recent reading of The Murders in the Rue Morgue is outstanding as well. That one from Skip223, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you also very much for taking the time to write these reviews. And by the way, this bunch also came in with a bunch of 1001 Sherlock Holmes reviews, and with 1001 Best of Jack London reviews, and with 1001 Stories for the Road reviews. And by the way, we're doing the Agatha Christie mystery, The Mystery of the Blue Train, at 1001 Stories for the Road right now. So if you enjoy if you enjoy Poirot mysteries, Agatha Christie, it's 1001 Stories for the Road. And one more thing for you to check out. Search for 1001 True Stories with Brian Tremblay. That's 1001 True Stories with Brian Tremblay. And it's an interview show where he interviews guests who've had special experiences. Just about anything you could name that you would think is special or different. From seeing a ghost, from meeting a celebrity, 
from an odd job that you have or an incident that you were involved in? Those are the kind of interviews he's doing. And I'm going to be doing one there as well about an incident that I had uh, a few years ago. It's 1001 True Stories with Brian Tremblay. It's at all the podcast hosts. Thanks so much for listening. This is your host, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. And we'll be back soon.